is so important. If you start off a session knowing the person's expectation, you can meet it. Yeah. Or you can counter offer if it's not possible, you know, if they're like, I want to be pain free, you can educate. That's a point of education. So then mm. they don't leave feeling upset that they aren't pain free. But if you don't know their silent expectation, it is highly unlikely you will ever meet that if it's not a conversation. That's right. And I think the, the challenge I think that people face for sure, Emma, is that... Welcome to the Clinician Life Podcast. I'm Emma Jack, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daryl Yardley. And together, we're on a mission to help you elevate your practice to new heights. Join us each week as we bring you invaluable insights from some of the world's leading clinicians. From staying ahead of industry trends to crafting your dream career and life, we've got you covered. Get set to unlock your full potential. Here we go. Or what's one of the things that maybe that you've experienced outside of industry that you really were trying to figure out how to build into your healthcare practice? Yeah, I think it's always been, and I, I'm trying to remember in this moment where I first heard, because it's not my term whatsoever, the surprise and delight term. Mm. I, I definitely heard it outside of industry. Um, the notion of surprising and delighting people. And I think that always really stuck with me because I, I really hold on to great experiences and I am the person who loves to write a good Google review or email the manager or, you know, really make sure people know that they're appreciated. And certainly when I was developing my own clinical practice, that was something that I really put a lot of thought and energy into, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize like what little things would actually catch on, mm-hmm. like my parking signs, like not that you normally, you know, if you think about a classic parking sign, it's like, this is reserved for X business, all others will be towed. And I was like, that's not how I want people greeted at my clinic, yeah. of like you're in our club or not. And so I like had fun with the language on my parking signs, like reserved for the stellar clients of press play physiotherapy and Pilates. If that's not you, we also accept chocolate. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. And yeah. so what I didn't realize at that time was like people would take a picture of that because it was different mm-hmm. and like post it to their stories and share it. And it was just like a fun mm-hmm. way to arrive. And like mm-hmm. I also would you know, when people would be discharged, I have these little enamel pins with my um, logo on it. And it's like, thanks for being a piece of our heart because my logo is kind of two peas right, in right. a heart. Mm-hmm. And people would then like proudly wear that as like a badge of honor. And like, people mm-hmm. were always like, when do I get my pin? And it was like, so, I mean, it cost me 70 cents. Like it was so little, but even I, you know, I have heard from people, oh, I saw somebody at the grocery store with your pin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it became this like yeah. little club. Um, and I think it's like those sort of things that have people feeling seen. Yeah. Like I, I think it comes down to feeling seen mm-hmm. and, um, you know, whether, you know, I've had some phenomenal restaurant experiences, but I'm even thinking about uh, a store here in London 
um, a women's clothing store where they'll message me and say, Hey, we got this in and it makes us think of you. Like, we just think this would look amazing on you. It totally is your vibe. Are you interested in it? Mm -hmm. And it's, I would never necessarily just like go to that store and pick out that thing. But the thought, the fact that I can see that they put thought into me Mm -hmm. and who I am and wanted to extend the reach out, I am way more likely to buy it. Like that's worth their time and energy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I think it's feeling seen is what people, I mean, globally want. And -hmm. if we can find ways to have people feel seen and known, and you know, that can be as little as remembering that it was somebody's kid's birthday over the weekend. And how was that birthday party or, you know, little, little things that aren't little at all. Yeah. And I think, and I think the problem I would say on this end is because we define little for the patient, right? Being like, oh, you know, when I, when you think about the same, like little things matter, they actually do. But I think sometimes yeah. too, is like, we're almost always thinking about like, well, that wouldn't be appreciated by anybody. And I, Cause I think we're thinking about things like from a promotional perspective, right? Like right. I really want a water view physio and health center water bottle. No, <laughs> they don't. Like, they don't. They don't. You know, and I always make fun of my business partner, Emily. I'm like, no, who uses that frisbee? That frisbee is not even anything, right? Yeah. Or it's, like, it's one more thing in your house where like now you have to store yeah. it somewhere. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of the thrift stores. So again, same thing. Like at least we're, you know, supporting a good cause, right? But at the end of the day, it's what that represents for that person, right? Is it an achievement? Is it an accomplishment? Is it the mm-hmm. fact that, yeah, it's a small pin that was worth 70 cents, but someone achieved something that actually brought them back a quality of life is it playing with their grandkids is it you know being able to walk through the grocery store without actually wetting themselves now like i think yeah. we, we we don't sweat so the other saying that i always focus on is do we sweat the small things and we're told not to sweat the little stuff right mm. but i think we need to sweat the small things for patients because something that's so small because we see it so often or doesn't share the same relevance because it's just what we do every day and we're good at it but it actually is usually extremely meaningful to that individual, right? Which is also yeah. why it's so important to understand when you build connections with patients, so they they afford you the opportunity in my mind to use my expertise to help them solve a problem. I have to learn about them, right? I still have a Absolutely. job, but yeah. you know, when I look at someone's assessment these days and I'm coaching them and it says, oh, they have kids. And I'm like, how many? Two. What are their names? What are their names? How old are they? I don't know. Like you already may have like three objections of why they're not going to be able to be compliant and adhere to your plan, but you didn't show any interest in learning about them. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, I actually want to know about your kids a little bit. Like it's going to have a significant impact on how I can support you to help you solve the problem. Cause as an expert, I have to kind of work through that stuff. Right. Yeah. I think that's something that we underestimate the position we're in as healthcare providers in this way, because, and that's one reason I became a PT and not a physician. Cause I knew like I wanted time to get to know people and get to know their stories. And we have that ability to go deeper with people and to not use that as an opportunity to, you know, open up to how it could serve their sort of treatment and their their care path better, but also to give them a really good healthcare experience. 
because so many people, myself included, have had really negative healthcare interactions and are, you know, coming into us feeling a certain way about their body and their health and how things are going. And we have an opportunity to really slow that down and give a different experience and have people sort of put their guard down a little bit less. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing, what do you think it is, Emma? Like when you think about like that 70 cents, like that, you know, changing the signage, you know, outside me, what do you think the limitation for people? I'll just I'll just share what like my first instinct was was creativity right I think so often we look at what other people have done and how it's been done before and we just sort of take that and and curb and copy it and so I think sometimes it is just our our own creativity and limits of Mm -hmm. the mind as to what can be done um and potentially there is like a a feeling of like you indicated, like how much impact is that actually going to yeah. have? Is it worth it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to like try things out too, because I think it, again, there's no one size fits all for what that looks like. You have to look within yourself and think like what would feel good to me and what sort of represents, you know, mm-hmm. our clinic and our brand or me and my philosophy. So I think it has to be, it will be less authentic if you're just doing what somebody else did before. Um, So I think you have to look at that. But I I do think I would challenge people and I love challenging people to be more creative and think outside the box. And potentially even that's where feedback, I think is so important too. Mm -hmm. Getting feedback from people, not just at the end of their care path, like midway through. Like, hey, what's going well? What do you need? What's what's not been met, what has exceeded your expectations. Cause I think the more feedback we have, the more we know, Ooh, like that's like, keep mm-hmm. going down that path. That's really working. That's helping. Or like, Ooh, I need to step it up here. So, mm-hmm. you know, we can't always project onto people what they will like and what will work with for them. And there are certainly people who didn't care a lick about getting an enamel pin. <laughs> that's fine too. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it is, looking at you know what would feel fun and also delight me mm-hmm. and where where are the things i'm already doing having impact and how can i scale that up how can i mm-hmm. make that like even more obvious yeah and i think that's the key thing right like you got to throw the word even more even better you know mm-hmm. how do you know and i know lots of people use the you know the terminology level up too which is great but it's actually really interesting cuz i don't think we spend enough time using like patient focus groups, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, have families do, you know, focus groups if you have a peds practice or a neuro practice, right? Is there's so much insight of, you know, how do we, how could we actually improve your experience even more, right? Yeah. Because I, I actually fear that, or feel that people are fearful of negative feedback. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, at the end yeah. of the day, the only negative feedback is going to come when you don't ask for feedback in the first place. Like feedback's a gift. Right. I would say it's even worse if you don't get the feedback and then out in public, the negative experience is going around and yeah. then the narrative is, and they didn't even try and fix it. And they never even asked me if that was okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. And one of my, one of my mentors over the years too, the one thing that she used to um, tell me, which helped her be extremely successful. And she's like a 
huge sort of advocate. It was Tanya Yarvey. We're not related. Um, <laughs> it but, always confuses me though. It does yeah, every time. Yeah, yeah I, like we've had, I'll, we'll do a sidebar after it, but, <laughs> but what games we play. But one of the things that Tanya always said, she says, you know, for her therapeutic alliance, she was the first one that taught me about therapeutic alliance before I met Jim. And she had, had always ended every session is rate today's session for me out of 10. Mm. And the patient would be like, oh, like, and I was like, weren't you afraid of that? She's like, what am I afraid of? They're likely going to tell me it was a nine or a 10, but for the, right. the very, very rare cases, I would need to know that. Otherwise yeah. they become fall off list, et cetera, et cetera. And then they would say a 10. And then her automatic response is what can I do next day to make it even better than that? Mm. Right. So what she was doing, she was setting up expectations every time and her gift in my mind, she was still a really good clinician, but her gift is she exceeded expectations every visit right yeah because she knew what that and that's what we try to teach people too is like just find out like Emma what do you what do you hope to achieve before you and I finish our session today I just want to plan yeah I ask that every time I think it's the expectation setting is so important if you start off a session knowing the person's expectation you can meet it or you can counter offer if it's not possible you know if they're like I want to be pain-free you can educate that's a point of education so then Mm -hmm. they don't leave feeling upset that they aren't pain-free. But if you don't know their silent expectation, it is highly unlikely you will ever meet that if it's not a conversation. That's right. And I think the the challenge I think that people face for sure, Emma, is that Canada's extremely diverse, right? Which means that if I ask you that question, you stare at me like, why are you asking me this question? You can't just assume that the patient yeah. doesn't have an answer. Like you may have to think of it asking it a different way and there's probably somebody in your practice that's really good at that or understands some some cultural diversity and you need them to actually support you at that because I'll be honest like it's not okay to just ask a pre-scripted question and then not get the answer and just bail on it yeah right but you also don't want to be forced into that and decide that like oh well I'm trying to ask what this patient expects or I'm trying to figure out how to improve their experience but they never tell me anything so I guess I'm a failure you're not a failure either right so you can't assume the patient can't give you the info you can't assume that you're no good at it you just got to be able to figure out what other options do I have right especially if it's a consistent avatar or demographic that's coming into your practice yeah it can be that somebody's never been asked their needs before yeah. And so that can be a highly uncomfortable question for somebody who's never had their needs hmm. matter. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, certainly not our, our role to unpack that with them, but yes. understanding, you know, you have to go into any encounter knowing your mm. worldview yeah. and being open and understanding of other worldviews and then creating a space to help give option and give voice and give personal choice, right? An educated personal choice. And so whatever way, if that, if that way you ask the question doesn't land, there's another way to get the information out of people. You know, you can also give two options. Would you be interested in going over these exercises a little bit more in depth, or are you more hoping to, you know, get some hands-on treatment, right? You can open up, um, you know, people's mind a little bit so that potentially over time, we've empowered people where they are coming in and saying, hey, this is what I need and want today, yeah. right? And, exactly. and working with them on that. 
Yeah. And if you look at data and the research, one of the important parts to establish communication that's remembered and connection is setting expectations, right? Identify expectations. But the other one that's really important is that you actually have to confirm or validate that you met them. But here's the thing. Most people are afraid that they won't meet as opposed to actually realizing that they probably exceeded and they should celebrate right there's so it's it's interesting but there will be personalities that are difficult to manage there are people that have injustice that come into our practices people have trauma-informed conditions right that influence what they see right so it's it's interesting but if you get into a structure around connection and creating an experience that people are kind of wowed by and you prove that it doesn't have to be a big wow it's just the little things that start to add up and what differentiates, you know, your practice, your brand, your brand within somebody else's practice is actually not hard to do, right? I think sometimes yes. we don't, we're not creative enough, innovative enough. We don't feel that we have the opportunity to be creative, right? Sometimes that's totally, but yeah. I'll be honest, most, like I'd love for, for somebody to come up with a whole new strategy to engage patients. I'm, I'm all for it, right? Yeah. Um, but what's actually really, really interesting, though, is that we're trained for to be structurally a provider, right? right. Ask these questions, yes. do these tests, perform a treatment, and collect a bunch of money that you're not comfortable collecting. <laughs> yes. Right? Because private practice is about business. It's not. It, no. <laughs> it's a transaction. I get it. Well, and I, I think that's where it's... And again, I, I totally hold that there's there's so much to be learned in school and you know there there is a, an end point, but that is where our own stories, our own fear of failure, our own fear of not being enough, our money stories, our fear of sales, our fear of being rejected, that is our stuff to work on. I mean, mm-hmm. that's often what I am working on clinicians with is, is those sort of ingrained stories that are holding you back from mm-hmm. showing up as a clear vessel coming from a place of service, mm-hmm. right? You, you don't, you're able to ask those questions. Once you've worked the fear of rejection or fear of failure, mm-hmm. you can show up and ask those questions and not working through that and not, you know, recognizing that that's our stuff to work on is holding a client back, not only you back from feeling good in the work you're doing, but holding clients back from good outcomes. It's yeah. like our own stories and our own BS that is self-limiting. Yeah. And I think there's another piece too. And I think this is sort of, we're not going to talk about fall loss today, but I think this is where there's a lot of like negativity and punitive, like, punitive response to you know let's say caseload management that has weak that has leaks in it right but the truth is is that in many cases what we believe that patient needs is actually not what they need even though I have like Mm -hmm. the the check like you name it evidence-based practice would tell me that I followed the clinical guidelines correctly But evidence-based evidence practice isn't just about the clinical practice guidelines, right? Or my clinical experience. It has to be my ability to understand how to communicate to the patient, how to actually look at factors that maybe are outside of my toolbox of things that I have, but that patient may rely on me to inform them of better opportunities, or sorry, other resources to actually take their outcome to an even better level, Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's a lot of people that I still cannot help. Let's just say with, you know, 
knee problem X. But it doesn't mean I still can't actually be part of their healthcare team that actually gets them to the right person, right place, or right yes. team, right place, right time. But the only way I'm going to do that is if I create an if, if I create an experience for them, they start to trust me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Very medical based. Don't park here. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, you know, if here you are the rules. Yeah. If you cancel your appointment, I'm going to charge you 20 bucks. Why don't I just find out like, is everything okay? Like I've noticed yes. that you have to keep canceling this. Does this time work for you? No. Yeah. Like what else is happening in your life that doesn't allow you to continue on with this commitment you've made? That's right. So for right? me, when I look at some of those like factors, I'm like, at some point you got to look at stuff because it's telling you a story about your patient. But I think that's where metrics gets a bad plug is that people usually only talk about things like that when it's bad. We should right. be looking at things like what story is being told in this, in my practice, in this clinic, how do we improve this story? How do I change the outcome of this story? Right? Yeah. Like, everybody knows the outcome when you're going to start posting on your Hallmark movies in what? four weeks? <laughs> um, no, Hallmark movies start this weekend, Daryl. Come on. It's the end of October. It's only week eight of the NFL season. Exactly. So that is divine timing for oh Hallmark to start God. pushing out its <laughs> D-list acting and like also D minus plot lines that we all know and love. Right. But here's yeah. the thing. Here's the question. So even though you know the end of every story, you still yeah. watch it. Right. 100%. So yeah, it's I so knew, good. <laughs> if I have the same like heartwarming feeling to go to, quite honestly, like I hate the whole like physical terrorist thing because like I don't know who the hell keeps <laughs> patients up in clinic anymore but aside don't get mad at me for saying that but the reality is is like that's not how I want people to remember me by right like yeah. I want to know what what happens when you go to this clinic what's the experience that I'm going to get what happens if I plateau how do they support me right do I trust my provider right do I get a different experience when I go there we want to create spaces that people actually want to come, mm -hmm. right? Watch um, that's that's where, and I would love to have Megan Nina um, articulate on because I think we underestimate the impact of being a place and a person that people actually want to see and enjoy yeah. their encounter with and leave feeling more energized to your point of not wanting people to have this impression of, oh, when I go to PT, I leave and I'm like so beat up and hurt way more than I did before, but they're telling me it's gonna help. I want people to like see that PTs on their calendar and be like, oh, damn, I can't wait for that today. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of provider and that's the kind of environment mm -hmm. I want to create and I love it. I had a, a client the other day say, can I just like hang out here? Like, do I have to have an appointment? Can I just like come and hang here? That yeah. is like the best feedback to me because mm -hmm. that shows me that I've created a space where she mm -hmm. felt comfortable, safe, and that's where the best healing is going to happen. Yeah. And for all the college people that you're worried about, like that education is still a treatment. And some people yes. actually want to not have me mobilize their neck on some days. And this is really interesting because I honestly truly believe we undervalue that component of education, right? Yeah. Um, it is a strong intervention and it's not my only intervention by any means, but it's actually being able to determine what does that person need at this point in time? And one of the individuals, we have an advisor that's a patient um, yeah. and she always tells me that is sometimes guys, you have to understand, like I'm not in the mood 
to do that silly exercise, right? I'm not, yeah. I don't really want you to do soft I just need you to like, just use your listening skills and just hear me out. I need somebody to listen, right? Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's, and it worries me because I think one of the things that I saw when we came back from COVID especially is like, if I go back to those days, it was like, people were in their homes and they finally, you know, we were able to open our clinics back again and, and people were burning out super quickly, right? Because yeah. patients were unloading on us. Like they hadn't talked to anybody for months, right? All these things yeah. were changing, their work environment changed. And then what we saw though, when we were analyzing practice is like 15 minutes of your 30 minute session, were just communicating, just chatting, hearing them out, being a safe place yeah. for them. And then you still try to put a 30 minute treatment session into 15 minutes. 15 minutes. So you ran late, you didn't chart, like, but but it's interesting because again, I think it goes back to what you were mentioning earlier too. I mean, it's like we were so regimented, this is what we must do based on our training. Whereas I think if you start to look at it, we just knew what do you need? How could I best help or support or serve you? Whatever is your kind of your way of asking that question, what would best be? you know, what would be most valuable for you today? And like, I love what you said too. It's like, give people choice, right? Yeah. Do you want to review those? Do you want to just, you know, we want to do a bit of a re-eval and, and chat through some of the challenges. Do you want me to do this today? All of that's valuable, yeah. right? Clinically, but what's preferred by the patient, you don't know. So yeah. Gotta- and, and that's such an, a nuanced skill that I think, um, again, doesn't often get talked about, but just being able to read the energy of somebody coming in and, and, you know, should I, should I be up here today and we're excited and we're going to get moving or like, Mm -hmm. do we need to just sit and take some deep breaths and you need to share something that's on your mind? Um, Like that ability uh, to read people coming in and following and like allowing yourself to follow that intuition, knowing that there is therapeutic benefit Mm -hmm. to all the things and letting, you know, not that, not that I think PT is a giant, you know, choose your own adventure novel. Um, But there's so many avenues you can take. And so why not? have the client have some input on that because I guarantee the outcome is going to be better. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is that again, this is where I challenge people from the evidence base or evidence informed perspective. There's a, that same study that talked about expectations is where's the shared decision-making, right? Yeah. Same thing. It's still our job to be like, look, this, you know, based on my point of care risk assessment, this is, this is not what I would recommend for this and this. Yeah. Here's the risks or the benefits, right? Like that's still our, our job, right? But I think this is really what separates the good clinicians from the great ones, right? You should take your, your talent and your, your skills in your craft, but you have this new intuition of how to read that room, how to, how to connect well. But, but I think it's not to say that if you can't do that, you're not going to ever be great. It's just, how do you recognize that that's an opportunity for coaching support, you know? Yeah. Have you ever recorded yourself do an assessment? It's actually extremely telling. Oh my gosh. I remember in the, um, the MCLSC program, we had to have people literally sit in on our assessments and, you know, give feedback. And it was for somebody who is, I'm not even going to say slight, who loves to be a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so deeply challenging for those moments but the opportunity for the most growth, right? And that's, it's Mm -hmm. recognizing where 
your limitations or it's not even a limitation where your your challenge it's mm -hmm. almost like that's where you, that's probably where you need to go the stuff that comes yeah. easy comes easy so right. you know if if you really want to take that next level growth step it's that kind right. of stuff that you have to lean into and ask for help with and mm. get feedback on yeah and i and the thing that i find that's actually quite interesting is if you think about the amount of our classmates and colleagues that were like oh i'm going into sport well good like most yeah. like many of us were playing sport in university etc we are all at some point both of us still had the same experience like you you had this student internship at mcmaster yeah. and i was volunteering in the clinic like we kind of knew that pathway and we're like all oh, athletes right you were the national yes. national team but that's really really interesting though is if you think about it we were coaching at that level we would never go into a game without reviewing the past game tape. We would never mm. prepare for a game without watching the tape of the other team. Yeah. Right. Like it's just a matter of growth and development, but it's like not acceptable or it's intimidating or it's like, what happens if someone sees that we're not very good? The reality is, is yeah. how do you define really good? Who defines quality? So we should actually have a yeah. whole other separate section on that part because there's some cool information that's out there. But I actually fear or feel it's what you said. Like there is no perfect assessment. There's obviously things that you can kind of screw up and not do correctly. Yeah. But I'll be honest, like you really have to not be paying attention to do a simple point of care risk assessment. You can't pick up red flags. <laughs> yes. That's not my, like, that's a whole, <laughs> but to feel like, like you must do this within this 45 minutes or this 60 minutes, or you're not a good client. Like that's a big no-no. Yeah. And like, that's one of the beautiful things about PT. I mean, again, barring red flags, you can do it next time. Yeah. If you realize after an assessment, oh my gosh, I totally forgot to look at that. The next day when they come in, you can say, you know what? I realized there was a few other things I didn't yeah. get to look at last time. Would it be okay if maybe we started there? Like yeah. all of these things, it's like an evolving process and a dynamic process. And so there's no, you can always get it back on track. Yeah. Yeah. One there's of my best always... skills was going in there and just flaring people up. Right. Then I, then, I was <laughs> yes, then I was trained to say, Hey, I'm mean, just, you know, you might be a little bit sore after today's assessment, but it, what'll be is a good sign means I'm in the right spot. I'm like, what, why did I learn to do that? Like, it makes no, <laughs> no sense. Like I didn't judge your ability. I didn't look at psychosocial influence and centrally mediated cases. And I didn't yeah. think about anything about trauma informed cases. I didn't like, I was just told like, I'm on the right spot, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was part of my training. Was it, was it wrong? No. Was it, was it optimal? No. Right. Yeah. But it was, it was trying to sort of get people to think about it too, but was that the best first experience? Probably Exactly. Not. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hey, and, you should go see Daryl. I felt so terrible after meeting him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, but then there is the odd group though, that I learned over years that if you don't make them a, like, they don't remember you the next morning. Cause you like, right. you know, did a technique they're like oh, that guy's useless right so it's and even like, that that is like a getting to know right it's getting to know you know it's is this person the person who wants to know down to the minutia yeah. what's you know happening at the level of the tissues even if i again i would argue we can't do that but you know is this person the like knowledge person or is this the person who's like i don't care what's going on i just want your help fixing it 
I was like asking those questions, like what makes something Mm -hmm. feel worthwhile? Oh, when it like really hurts the next day and I can feel like I worked really hard. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. I know that. And versus the person who is like afraid of being Mm -hmm. flared up and what that might mean for going to work the next day or being able to care for their elderly parents or whatever. That's Um, right. So that all comes from getting to know someone. That's right. And the thing too, is, and that's sort of that piece around, and I'm sure we'll dive into this with Jim when he comes on next month. Um, and Jim Miller loves this piece around connection. So for those of you that are listening, if you have ideas, and you want us to dive deeper, send us a message. But I think, but I think you're right. I mean, it, the key thing, and let's, and let's kind of circle back to like, okay, what's the wow factor in clinics? And the one thing I'm curious of, if you ever had early in your career, did you have sort of a clinic that was doing like welcome packages or anything like that? Because it's obviously a topic of always a discussion when it comes to clinic ownership. But there's always this promotional feel to it. Like, okay, is it acceptable? Are we allowed to do it? What's Mm -hmm. in this little bag? But again, typically what I see is it's driven for from provider to patient as opposed to being patient driven. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. Right. Totally. So if you were to, if you were to re envision like okay you've got a kind of a cool graduation component right they get the yeah. pin. If you were to think about an, like an example of like hey it's great to meet you thanks for choosing press play mm-hmm. physio what what would a welcome sort of um I don't want to call it a gift because I'll probably get in trouble a welcoming experience be for you now yeah if you were to think of something new for 2024. Yeah. Um, so what came through, which I suppose is not entirely new because it is something I've done in the past, um, is have people write on a sticky note their intention and mm. their their goal, whatever they're comfortable sharing, um, whether anonymously or with their name. Um, and it always went on the door to my office. And so when they walked through the door, they would see everyone's goals and what people were working on and see the vast difference between the goals um and people usually like followed up either you know if it was like running around the bay they'd follow up and you know give me a picture and so it mm-hmm. it brought that like one-on-one-ness into a community feel yeah um, which i think felt really nice um and i think it's there's also something so powerful to writing an intention down mm-hmm. and And so that was always just a really nice way for me to end a first session with somebody is Mm -hmm. to explain, you know, here's, here's what we do around here. Here's why we do it. Is this something you want to do? I always gave people the option not to, Mm -hmm. um, but people really enjoyed that. And again, I think there's something to writing it down, taking that sticky note off and like putting it on the door and being like, I'm a part of this community. Yeah. And and the thing that I love about that too, actually, Emmett, is, you know, when we think about what I hear from a lot of clinicians is like, oh, you know, when I ask, when I ask a patient, you know, what is your intention? Or, you know, if this pain wasn't, you know, here today, like, what would you be doing if you were a hundred percent? And a lot of people don't, can't think past that, right? Yeah. They're just like, oh, but I'm like, my knee's killing me, like, or my shoulder hurts. I can't lift my grandkids, right? Or I can't lift mm-hmm. my son or my daughter. And the thing too is that it's not wrong, but you know what I notice too sometimes is sometimes I just need to be in in an, in a room and somebody else go first when someone asks a question I'm like oh that's what I'm supposed to be thinking about. So yeah. what I love about that though is like if that was you know at the front door coming through, which is great, so people will spend yeah. time looking at it. If you have a waiting area, like is it in your waiting room? Because what would be really cool is most new patients would be reading that board because it's exactly. Engaging. 
right? Exactly. So now when I ask that question, you have, I may have more context, right? They have ideas of the vast array. You know, some people yeah. were like, I want to be able to go to the mailbox and some people are running around the bay and like, just yeah. that knowing that like any answer is okay. Yes. Right. And it's, and it sort of highlights the fact that people have personalized goals, which means mm -hmm. that the treatment plan is personalized because mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of people that just confirm one-on-one, -on -one, meaning like one-on-one -on -one is the best kit. No, the yes. plan has to be personalized. I don't really care how it's delivered. If you meet the patient's expectations and it's aligned to their personal goals, that's yeah. personalized care. How you deliver it, that obviously is up to you and your practice model and your practice philosophy. But, but I think that's actually really cool. I had another gentleman too, a good buddy of mine, and he used to have this theory is, you know, what motivates people? to mm -hmm. continue persevering because let's be honest like recovery is not easy yeah. so again you know how do you flip the switch from oh shit i got the gene text reminder i gotta go to the clinic <laughs> versus like oh shit i'm gonna go to the clinic today okay i gotta get ready to go right yeah um and it was oftentimes about the motivating factor but if i ask a group of clinicians like what's motivating this person right now to adhere to this plan of care most people don't know yeah. Right. So have an intention is like, you know, I want to be able to do X, which is going to improve my quality of life, but, but why? Right. Why? Do you remember the, it was like went viral around the pandemic, like 2020, there was that, it was kind of this, um, it was a little video and it was this gentleman who was like working out. And at the end of the video, he picked up his mm -hmm. granddaughter to put the straw on the Christmas tree. Oh my God. It was so yeah. good. I yeah. loved it. Obviously classic, like Hallmark yeah. lover. It loved that. Yeah. <laughs> I, remember, I had, actually one. was training and Diane Lee was on that call with me and Diane yelled at me. She's like, I've cried so many times since you put this on, but it was interesting because if you looked at that, the motivating factor was that in his, in his workshop, there was a little picture frame. We never saw it until the end, but he was motivated for whether it was a family tradition with his granddaughter, it didn't really matter. But one of the things that a, a good buddy of mine was doing at this practice was less about like, just here's your welcome package and here's your branded resistance band and here refer a friend. But it was more along the lines of what was motivating for that individual, right? So for example, mm -hmm. were you a soccer player? Were you a hockey player? Were you, you know, were you into dance gymnastics? Was it just like you're really motivated and you're dedicated to work? Like it was a yeah. special plan. It was like, we want to make you more productive at the office. And what it was, it was things that in some cases could have been branded. It was some things though that were just in the clinic that said to somebody, it was like, when you're going to go home and you're going to, we want to keep you motivated. I want you to keep that soccer ball close by, or mm. you're going to, you know, you want to get ready to go up for, you know, Friday the 13th on that motorcycle after that accident get yeah. that picture up there. But I feel like it kind of goes back to what you said earlier. It's those ways to create a new experience. Look outside of industry. What gets your attention? What makes you feel special in that location? Or sorry, in that in that yeah. organization. But what you said earlier is probably the best takeaway. I mean, you mentioned it. It has to be simple. What did you say to it at the pin? What did you call it for people? Like it was simple, but it was also a badge of honor. Yes. 
And I think there is something, there is something to that of instilling or, or attempting, not that we can, we can't control others, but instilling a sense of pride in the work yeah. they've put in and, and sense of accomplishment um, mm -hmm. that they've, you know, worked towards. And the theme I also see just, you know, in my example, but also your friend's example is that it's personalized. There's been like, they wrote down their goal they mm -hmm. were cued for them what was motivating and you just don't get that same sense of personalization when it's a prepackaged notebook pen water bottle yeah. everybody gets this it's kind mm -hmm. of like you know yeah. it, it lands different because there's just less thought and again mm -hmm. it would come back to having people feel really seen yeah and and personalize things mm -hmm. will help that absolutely yeah and i think sort of the the takeaway is is you know it doesn't have to be expensive right no. it, it has to surprise people it's a bit of a wow factor it's like wow this i've never had this experience in a physio practice or a healthcare practice before right everything's so medicalized still in canada mm -hmm. right like, if you just think of it, from... and it doesn't need to be like, it, I, again, we are very fortunate that we do have a lot more wiggle room in terms yeah. of, um, you know, how we get to interact with people and the environments we can hold them in. Yeah. And you can still be professional and make good yeah. connections and deliver excellent care. It's really not hard. I think people, I think sometimes are afraid to be creative or they don't have the open environment or the outlet to be creative but remember yeah. many clinicians are entrepreneurial so work with your with your practice right and you said this in the very first i think it was our first session when you're like you know you build your own business you know and you have your core values what do you do to you know invite people in it'll never be perfect yeah. but you know bring forward some opportunity of uh, new ideas, right? Like you create the infrastructure, yeah. you create the open environment. If it matches those core values around patient experience, we should all be having conversations with graduated patients. Even to be yeah. honest, probably get good feedback from people that maybe didn't have a great experience. How could we improve that? Just as much. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I think I've said this before, like silly idea time is so important. Mm -hmm. Get, you know, get, your staff together and or a bunch of clinicians together and just throw out ideas without filter because you can mm -hmm. also try different things if yeah. you want to try this and you know six months in you're like you know what that's not having the impact we thought it would you can mm -hmm. try something else um, yeah. but you won't be able to find that thing without doing it different and without trying things and so mm -hmm. you know it, it it's not i don't think anything is going to insult people <laughs> if anything it'll just kind of be neutral so um you might as well just you know get some ideas out onto paper try something see how it goes and get the feedback mm -hmm. listen listen to your people because they are the ones who will make your life so easy. If yeah. they have a great experience, you don't have to mar do marketing. And right. I can't tell you how many clinicians tell me they hate marketing. So the best thing you can do is give your people amazing experiences. That was just my dog yawning in the background. <laughs> give people amazing experiences and they will help you fill your caseload. Yeah, and those amazing experiences come from starting to sweat the little things, right? Yeah. As a, yeah. as a, as a healthcare provider, right. Just thinking about that, like what, 
go go outside and this is our takeaway for everybody i think it was go outside of industry think about when you were met you know you were made to feel special you had great connection doesn't matter what the business was and start thinking is you know how does that how would that fit within our professional environments of being a healthcare business right healthcare practice and get creative right mm-hmm. and read the book yeah read the room <laughs> read the room read the room Awesome. On that note, uh, this was totally interesting. We were supposed to chat about recruitment and hiring, but we got into the keg experience. It, it just wasn't the vibe. We read the room, Daryl. We read the yeah. room and we yeah. decided that wasn't where we were going today. And I, yeah. I hope we, that if we were blue next, productive. Yeah, if we were blue next week, and maybe we talk about recruit. But actually, Karen, Karen Elliott's coming next week. She's excited. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. So, awesome. So it'll be good. All right, I'm have a good rest okay. of your day. All right, Thanks. we'll see you next week. <laughs> All right, Jay. And that's all for today. Thanks for tuning into today's episode and joining us on this journey to get smarter in business and life by learning from the top clinicians in the world. Make sure to connect with me on Instagram at Daryl Yardley and be sure to follow my co-host Emma at Press Play Physio to stay connected. And also visit us at clinicianlife.com for more resources, articles, and opportunities to participate in the show. We'd love to have you on to share your expertise and insights with our growing audience. Can't wait to see you next week.